Hello, friends, and welcome. We're here. Uh, welcome to our SBT Sutra Studies class. Uh, we are currently examining the Dharmapada, as many of you know, and we will be for quite a while. There's 26 weeks of classes, and uh, there's 26 chapters, 26 weeks. Um, but today we'll be covering chapter two entitled Villagens. So um, I, I believe everybody did their homework and they're up for it. I thought this was a great chapter. What do you guys think? If you remember in chapter one last week, it seemed like the overall arc of the, of the verses was basically on goodness, right? It was entitled Dichotomies. And they were like in pairs. It's this, but it's not that. But it seemed like the whole thing was kind of um, organized around the idea of goodness, where this one is clearly organized around the idea of villagence. So the uh, we have the term villagence, uh, the header in two of our texts, uh, in Gil uh, Frasdale's and also in uh, Gaden Chippel's text. But... Um, in Buddha Rakita's text, he uses the term heedfulness. And so, you know, basically the same word. Um, diligence and heedfulness can be thought of, I'm sorry, diligence and heedfulness can be defined as diligence, attentiveness. But for me, it really comes down to mindfulness, right? And in particular, this is an energetic mindfulness. And so for me, it seems to be a combination of the sixth, uh, the sixth and seventh steps of the Eightfold Path, which we have right effort and right mindfulness. And so together, uh, we have this idea of energetic mindfulness. Um, and um, and the opposite of that is referred to in the text as negligence or heedlessness. And this is a carelessness, inattentiveness, unmindful, or just simply careless. Um, so with that said, let's get on to our reading. So we've just started this program and we're figuring out together how it works and how we're going to be presenting it. Our instructors, our SBT instructors have been kind enough to volunteer to read some of the uh, verses for us. And um, uh, would, uh, would somebody, uh, how about uh, Nigel, would you like to read the first verse? Uh, Lisa says, do you mean diligence? Isn't that what I said? Mm-hmm. Did I say vigilance? Sorry, Tuff. I said, uh, do you mean vigilance? Because I don't... Oh, what, oh, what did I say? Vigilance. You're saying vigilance. You're saying vigilance. But do you mean vigilance? Is it just, a, uh, is it just an okay. English and American pronunciation? Word? Okay, no, good, good. I think, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shall I read about villages now? Yeah, please read the first verse on villages. Okay. Vigilance is the path to the deathless. 
negligence the path to death. The vigilant do not die. The negligence are as if already dead. Oh, lovely. So when we're studying this together, so I think my first job is just to pick out any terminologies that might be uh, seem strange or unknown. So that's my first job. So let me do that as we go through these. And uh, the first one is this idea of of deathless and to die. And so um, in Gil Fransdale's text, they have a very nice, in the notes, he has a nice uh, take on this. And uh, as you can see on your screens now, the deathless, a favorite synonym for the state of liberation. Uh, it's a favorite and important, powerful word in the early Buddhist tradition. The person who attains final liberation is freed from the cycle of rebirth. If one is not reborn, the dying that inevitably follows birth will not occur. And so it can be said that the person has attained the deathless state. In the Dharmapada, the term deathless stands in contrast to the frequently referenced term Mara, one who brings death. So, um, so when we talk about the Buddha passing away and we talk about final nirvana, it's known as para-nirvana. And that's the idea that at that point, the practitioner passes away and he has gone beyond the cycle of birth and death, samsara, and he will not be reborn again. As a, as a secular Buddhist group, some of us in our, in our group have a belief in rebirth and others don't. And so, but we do recognize uh, the uh, the aspects of the Buddhist teachings dealing with rebirth as a as simply a belief, and uh, many of us don't take it as as uh, as fact. Uh, so, in a, to to say this in a secular way, uh, the last line of this note helps us to understand that. So, when we say the opposite of deathless is is the idea of uh, Mara one who brings death but remember that mara is a, a synonym for our 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 afflictions and our limitations right you know they they use mara as an archetype and they they turn mara into a deity uh and i think it makes it an, an easy way to practice and kind of look at it but mara isn't a being uh especially in a secular sense of the of the word uh, Mara is simply our afflictions, our limitations, our uncontrolled habits and patterns, our social conditioning. Mara is all the things that we're trying to uh, abandon and transcend in order to awaken. So if Mara are those limitations and afflictions and social conditioning, then the deathless state is the abandonment of those. So the deathless state here can mean the awakened state, whether you're passed away or not. So if you're an awakened, if you've awakened within this lifetime, you could say that in this lifetime, as you're still on the earth, you, you are currently in the deathless state. That's an interpretation, everybody. But I wanted to kind of put it in those terms. Uh, the great uh, secular uh, uh, 
master uh, uh, scholar John Peacock had a great piece on that, and he was putting that into words on how uh, this deathless state can be seen as simply the awakened state, and that death can be seen as living on autopilot. Um, in a later verse in today's readings, they'll talk about the, those that are asleep and those that are awake. In a sense, we can use the same idea with deathless and death, that the deathless are people that are no longer living on autopilot, that they're actually awake in this lifetime. They're alive, right? And the people that are are stuck in samsara, they're stuck in habitual mundane existence, living on autopilot, demonstrating very little free will at all. In a sense, they live like they're dead. So that's uh, an interpretation I wanted to share with you. If I can, for a moment, uh, take a look at Gaden Schirpel's, because again, uh, I'm really enjoying Gaden Schirpel's text on these. And I should probably just put this on screen so it's easier for you guys to all look at. So um, the verse in this case is, Vigilance is the way of immortality. Heedlessness is the abode of death. Those are vigilant. Those who are vigilant will not die, but the heedless are always already as dead. So there's another clue to the interpretation or hypothesis that I give you. Here they're talking about heedless people are already dead that they're, they're not alive, they're living in habitual states. So I think that that, that adds some relevance to it. Uh, Neil, would you like to read the next one? Number? Yeah, okay. Yeah, if you could. <laughs> Knowing this distinction, vigilance ages rejoice in vigilance. Delighting in the field of the noble ones. Oh, that's that's lovely. Thank you. So the first three, one thing interesting about Gaden Chippel's text that I like is the fact that uh, his is the only text that uh, at the top of, uh, of the text, the subheader, he taught he shares where the teaching was giving and, and in what concerning what action. So the idea is the, they claim that the, the Buddha shared each one of these passages because of a certain situation in a certain place. So uh, Gurdon Shippo's text is the only one that, that highlights that. And he uh, asserts here that the first three are connected and they were all shared at the same time in the same place concerning the same thing. Um, I'll read the third one. The wise are forever meditating, steadfast in... Oh, let me read the uh, our regular text. Absorbed in meditation, persevering, always steadfast, the wise touch nirvana, the ultimate rest in toil. Did I read the right one, Neil? Yeah, I did. Okay. So... So again, we're, in, we're, we're just talking about praise of vigilance of this energetic mindfulness. And, and we're talking about the problems of living a life of neglect. Um, absorbed in meditation, so we mean 
This we're talking about uh, samadhi, the, the state of meditation absorption. But uh, here we're, we're going to talk about it in, in whatever level a person can, can uh, engage in meditative absorption. So this goes from a very simple just being present. We're learning mindfulness this week in our 10-week meditation program. When you're present and you're, and you're in, the, in the present moment, this is the subtle, or this is the 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 first step of of a type of samadhi. It's a mental state that we're trying to cultivate in which we're present in the present moment. Deeper than that, we get into the uh, experience of stillness or equanimity. Still deeper, you can get into the experience of emptiness, of abiding in emptiness, and deeper yet you can get into the experience of actual nirvana itself. So <clears throat> all of these different levels are meditation absorptions. And for, for advanced meditators, of course, this includes uh, jhana meditations, the, the concentrations and the, and the absorptions. So they're saying that a person who is practicing this energetic mindfulness and can, be, can abide in the states, in the state of a, of a mental, a mental or meditative state of awareness, um, is always steadfast. Right? This is this is the opposite of negligence. This is a mind that's vigilant. Um, he, they touch nirvana and ultimately rest from toil. So toil, this is samsara. Toil is our busyness, our speediness, our sense that we're never happy with what we have. It's our hunger for more. It's all this, this, it's just the hunger and thirst of samsara. We're never happy. We go from anxiety to laxity back and forth. And the ultimate rest is that equanimity between them all. We're all that, all that hunger, all that clawing, all that wanting, all that greed, disappears and we have peace would anybody like to share anything or any ask any questions i can't see everybody so you can just speak up if you'd like to share i have a question please this might be a little bit uh what's the name con Converge. Ah. Anyway, when I read this, and I'm a novice, so I wonder why would anyone be will be free from from rebirth? Is that have that with the, the samsara to do? Sure. So the idea is, in you know, in traditional Buddhism, the highest level of nirvana or enlightenment. Uh, a person at death can go beyond the re the cycle of rebirth. Samsara is traditionally translated as the cycle of rebirth, and they no longer are reborn. The Buddha claimed, he told his attendant Ananda, uh, there is no more becoming for me. This is my last, last lifetime here. As secular Buddhists, we don't we, we don't uh, some of us don't necessarily believe in such a thing, but nevertheless, that's traditional. Okay. Thank you. Good question, Tony. Thanks. You're welcome.
So I think so far it's pretty clear. We're just talking about the benefits of of uh, energetic mindfulness, and it's kind of coincidental that it just happens to be what we're practicing this week. Yeah, yeah. pretty cool. Uh, may I make, make a comment? Uh, Please do. As, as secular Buddhists, don't we agree with Buddha that this is our last lifetime? Because you know, this is our last lifetime. This is the one we get. So when he says he's not coming back. That he's actually got it right. It just he never came here before, but this is still a, the last lifetime. This is the last lifetime that any one of us gets. A uh, great point. But the thing about it is that is that truly none of us know what happens when we die. They're all belief systems, including the mm -hmm. one you're sharing now. The belief that we don't aren't aren't reborn again mm -hmm. is uh, is a belief. So. They're all beliefs, mm -hmm. but, it, but a, a, a great take. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, for some of you that are new to SBT, we try to we, we teach what the Buddha taught, but we try to stay away from belief. We teach the Dharma here. It's up to you to believe what you want to believe. If you want to believe in rebirth, if you want to have a more traditional view, we're very happy that you do, and you're more than welcome here. We also have people that are very secular and have problems believing in anything mystical. So uh, our job isn't to uh, is, isn't to manage people's belief systems. Our job isn't to tell people what to do, what to believe, or what to think. Our job is to share the Dharma and support everybody. And so many of us have different beliefs, but we all come together because we know this is an open forum where we can all have our own thoughts. So that's what makes us special, I think. Uh, Nigel, would you like to read the next one, which is uh, 23? Oh, I'm sorry, 24. Okay, 24. Um, <clears throat> glory grows for a person who is energetic and mindful, pure and considerate in action, restraints and vigilance and who lives the Dharma. Oh, that's lovely. So again, the word glory here, we could just talk about a, a celebrated goodness, right? That the, for the, the person who, who puts the Dharma into action, and he actually is practicing what, what a lot of our Sangha members call living Dharma, not some dusty Dharma on high bookshelves, but actually everyday Dharma that we live with. I think that that's lovely. And I'm not sure how many instructors we have here. I can't see everybody on my screen. Beth, would you like to read one? I am not currently in a position to read at the moment. I bet Neil would I bet Neil would read one for us. You want to read number 25, Neil? Yeah, okay. Through effort, vigilant, restrained, and self-control, the wise person can become an island. No flood will overwhelm. Isn't that lovely? And I think that that's, that's very clear. Uh, Gideon Chippel shares 
I'm still trying to figure out how to navigate all these different pages that I'm working on. Uh, Gaden Chippel has a, a, a wonderful rendition. The wise by alertness and by vigilance, by restraint and perfect self-control, make of themselves of an, an island which the waves could never overwhelm. What's interesting about Gaden Chippel's take is that he just doesn't translate. His, re his versions are almost definitions of the original, right? He brings in these extra adjectives, right? We're talking about villagens, vigilance. Uh, the, uh, and he's, he's saying that it's an alertness, it's a restraint, a perfect self-control. And the idea is that we make ourselves islands that the waves cannot overwhelm. And of course, in our in our morning prayers, our, our community prayers, we talk about uh, SPT being a refuge from the storm, and that's what we, what we mean that uh, a refuge where the the waves of that storm can't touch us. So they're saying that through this practice, we we become untouchable from the woes of life. Would anybody like to share? And Neil, if you see anybody's hands going up or anything, please let me know. I'm, I have my nose buried in all the text and I can't see anything. Yeah, okay. Good. And so um, I'll read one. I think we're on number 27. We are number 26. 26. Thank you, Neil. You're very helpful. Unwise, foolish people give themselves over to neglect, to negligence. The wise protect vigilance as the greatest treasure. Boy, that's a praise of vigilance, isn't it? Um, and it's true. You know, we have this thing where foolish people kind of we tend to fall into negligence, don't we? It becomes just kind of a lazy habit. Probably some of you can see it in your lives where sometimes we, especially when our energy is low, right? We tend to kind of fall into habits of collapsing on the, on the, in your chair at the end of the day with, uh, with a, a glass of wine, watching your Netflix film. And before you know it, it's a habit, you're just doing it all the time. And it's true, we really have to be vigilant against these, of these habits. This, some would call it complacency, yeah? Where we're just, everything's just okay and we're not striving for improvement, right? Lovely. Let's see what Gaden Shippa has to say. I like Gaden Shippa. The foolish and low-minded embrace their own negligence. The wise guard vigilance as they would a great jewel. Oh, that's lovely. Nigel, you want to read one for us? Number 27. Okay. Where's the place here? Um, 27. Don't give yourself to negligence. 
don't devote yourself to sensual pleasure. Vigilant and absorbed in meditation, one attains abundant happiness. Oh, that's lovely. And Gideon Shilpo says, through cultivating vigilance, you will attain expanding joy. Do not let self-indulgence attract you. You cannot count on the pleasures of desire. His are so insightful, aren't they? That really, that really is an amazing commentary on it. And I'm not ignoring my great friend, uh, Buddha Rakita. It, Buddha Rakita has uh, more of a traditional view, and I kind of call on his when needed, but it just seems like the other two kind of really uh, cover the basis for us. I, I saved the third one for that. Um, I'd like to say on this one, um, often in, in the sutras when, when they talk about the problems of sensual pleasure and to avoid sensual pleasures. Most of the modern scholars uh, are all asserting that to remember that it's attachment to sensual pleasures, or at least that's their interpretation. You could say, well, if that's what the Buddha meant, he would have said it. <laughs> the Buddha was brilliant. He could have said your attachment, but most modern scholars are talking about that. And just generally, pleasures in life, joy in life. In, in, in a lot of the sutras, they seem to be a bit pessimistic sometimes. But um, all of the, the great scholars uh, agree upon the point that they're really talking about attachment to sensual pleasures. Because there's so many wonderful, there's so many virtuous pleasures. There's virtuous sensual pleasure, right? If you're in a beautiful relationship with another person, and whether you're making love or just enjoying each other's company, again, how you de define sensual. In now, nowadays, we have a distinction between sensual and sexual. Sensual can just be being with someone else. But nevertheless, uh, the Buddha didn't, didn't uh, ever uh, tell lay people not to uh, engage in sensual pleasure. It's the attachment to sensual pleasures. Attachment is always the thing in Buddhism that we're trying to avoid. There's absolutely nothing wrong with enjoying something. Or maybe a, a beautiful piece of fruit, a big juicy mango. There's absolutely not, nothing wrong with enjoying it. It's the attachment to that experience that's the problem. And like always, we're always saying the problem aren't things. The problem is our relationship to things. It's always about our relationship to things, internal, external. It's our relationship to things. Do we have a greedy mindset? Are we attached? Are we open? You know, for a, for a great practitioner who's renounced so much, for him to enjoy, again, a beautiful mango without attachment, he can completely enjoy that experience, right? A uh, vigilant and absorbed in meditation, one obtains abundant happiness. Again, when we talk about being absorbed in meditation, we're talking about being in the in a meditative state more often, <clears throat> and not necessarily seated meditation, but to be present, to be in stillness. Now that is within meditation and also within our mindfulness practice throughout the day. So throughout your day, to be more mindful, to be to be able to hold that that uh, 
that meditative or, or mental state throughout your day to abide in that state of mindfulness. Uh, it, it, it produces abundant happiness. Yeah. Okay. Neil, would you like to read 28? Yeah, okay. Driving away negligence with vigilance, ascending the tower of insight and free of sorrow, a sage observes the sorrowing masses as someone standing on a mountain observes falls on the ground below. Oh, that's lovely. Gideon Shippel says, when the wise replace carelessness with care, they climb to the clear heights of wisdom and calmly gaze upon the mass of suffering beings like someone on a mountain peak gazing on the plain. Does anyone have any thoughts? This uh, this idea of uh, climbing the mountain is a common one in Buddhism. And they talk about as you meditate and, and practice mindfulness, it's like you're aware, the, the, the improvement of your awareness is like slowly walking up a mountain. And more and more you have a vast view of things. And where you're in the village, you see one street at a time. You don't get a. You don't have a real good look at what's going on. But as you ascend that mountain and you look out over it, the 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 whole town comes into view, and you you have this expansive understanding and view of your life in that town. So that's it, lovely. It it makes me feel sad for the the very last. Uh, sentence just it makes me feel sad for everybody they're talking about you know as fools like, yeah i feel, feel bad for them i agree it doesn't seem very compassionate does it uh getting triple does he use the word fool he just talks about the mass of suffering beings i like that better don't you yeah. Yeah. Could, could it be akin to like in modern day people say when they're they're on an aircraft it takes off and they're looking down on the ground and saying, you know, the people on the ground look like insects and you're not making a judgment that you know they're puny people. It's just you're so far away from them that they they're looking like insects. You're not you're not really relegating really well, them down to yourself. I think that's uh, that's kind of a an assessment, a discernment of the size of the being. Here, it's clearly their intellectual capacity. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And then another, then the, the next logical step is people that go into space, and they look at the world right from from up there, and they say they never think of the world the same way. When you see it from that level all of a sudden they understand what life is really about right they have such a profound view from that a, a profound insight from that view mm -hmm. when they see that that blue marble with no borders and no countries 
just a one planet that could be living in a complete paradise. They thank you. They they often said uh, that it was a big deal when they first took a picture of the Earth from orbit. Did you ever hear that? The very first colored photos of the Earth from orbit, they said, had this huge impact on the world. Maybe some of our older Sangha members remember that fact, but they said that it profoundly changed society because they never saw it from like that before. They saw the connection of all human beings. Mm-hmm. Neil, did you say Tony? Marilisa Mentone. Eh? Oh, Marilisa? Yes. yes, I um, wonder. Yeah. One second, oh, Tony. Marilisa? Um, yeah, I was just, when we were talking about fool, I'm not sure that fool has always been a derogatory statement. I think, at least historically, there have been a lot of situations where it just basically means like unskilled. Like the way well, that we say unskilled. Here, Buddha Rakita kind of drives it home. The foolish and ignorant indulge in heedlessness, but the wise one keeps his heedfulness as his best treasure. But I appreciate your view, Merlis. Yeah. Tony? Yes, I wonder uh, when climbing up that mountain, could it mean uh, that you have some uh, helicopter perspective? Of the village. That's exactly what it means. Okay, thanks. Yeah, and that's that's the that that's used in Buddhism quite a bit. That as mm-hmm. your awareness grows, it's like walking up a mountain, and you just have a, a vaster and more more uh, um, um, peripheral understanding and view of life. Yes. Okay, Nigel, would you like to read twenty nine? Um, Vigilant among the negligent, wide awake among the sleeping, the wise one advances like a swift horse, leaving a weak one behind. That's lovely. I think that that's pretty straightforward. Uh, Ginchirpo says, vigilant among the heedless, and awake from among the sleepers, the wise are like fine horses, leaving the nags behind. Nags are old, yeah, just old horses. Um, so uh, again, Gaden Shippa brings this wonderful idea of the sleeping and those that are awake. So I always like the term awakening more than enlightenment. There's in Buddhism circles, there's often a bit of uh, controversy or contention on which word is better to use, enlightenment or awakening. I like the idea of awakening because it's more verb-oriented. Enlightenment sounds more like, like a finite state. We, they, they rarely use the word enlightening. It's usually enlightenment. Where, uh, to me, awakening is more accurate because in my experience, the act of awakening is, is incremental and it's a verb. You know, we don't become awake. We're always awakening. I think that we can always make further progress on it. And um, and this uh, this analogy of awake and asleep is is uh, goes uh, goes throughout history. 
it's a hugely famous. I remember, uh, I remember um, the Roman philosopher who I can't remember his name. Uh, he there was a great story uh, that uh, there was a kingdom and this uh, snow covers the land and it puts everybody to sleep and and it and it. Uh, and it, it highlights this idea that everyone you meet is a uh, Marcus Aurelius uh, shares the story and the idea is that all beings are asleep and they, we we need to shake off that sleepiness and awaken to being really alive and in, in so many ways it means to awaken to your true value your true potential and your true nature it's to awaken and realize that you are truly alive in every moment and highlighting the potential that's available in the in every moment so that's what it is to awaken it's to get off of autopilot and stop living a life of habits of going to work coming home eating dinner watching netflix doing it again to to really realize you're alive right Neil, do you want to read another one? You've been a great reader so far. We have 30. Yeah. With vigilance, Indra becomes the greatest of gods. The gods prize vigilance, forever rejected negligence. Lovely. And, oh, my battery went out on my light. Sorry about that. I hope you don't mind me silhouetted. And Gidenshipo says, it was by such vigilance that Indra became Lord of the gods. Thus, the gods reveal heedlessness and uh, revile heedlessness and hold vigilance in high regard. So as secular Buddhists, here we go with some of this language that's in the sutras, right? We have, uh, we have the Hindu gods sneaking in to quite a bit of the sutras. And um, so this is one of the reasons why Buddhists don't consider them consider themselves atheists. Instead, they consider themselves non-theistics, because though Buddhism doesn't assert, traditional Buddhism doesn't assert a creator God, yet in Buddhism, there is gods, there, there are devas, and they're within the text from this story of the Buddha, when he attains enlightenment, the Buddha believes that the state of enlightenment was too complex. He didn't think people would understand it. And he wasn't, he was thinking about not teaching it. And so the, the, the Hindu gods, the, or the Brahmin gods at that time, they come to him and they say, oh, great Buddha, please teach the world these wonderful teachings. And so the gods make an appearance in the sutras from time to time. And here we have with the king of all the gods. Now, these are these are Brahmeric gods. Indra is an older god from the Brahmin times, not the Hindu times. And um, and they're claiming that the greatest of all gods got there through through this vigilance and uh, uh, and uh, and the gods rely on this. Any thoughts, anybody? And I have to say, Lisa was completely right. As I was talking, I was pronouncing the word poorly. I think it was just sloppy uh, 
diction on my point, on my part, I was I was saying vid, vigilance instead of vigilance. It's it was my lazy mouth that was uh, at hand there. So thank you, Lisa, and I will try to be better at it. Yeah, sorry, Tapo. I just <clears throat> was concerned that I been um, it was a word I hadn't I didn't recognize. So I was worried that I'd got the meaning wrong. Well, well, you make me a better teacher by pointing it out, and it's important that we do that. That that's always a, a fear of mine that I'll do that. So, uh, yeah, that was just a a lazy part of it for me. I used to teach English. I should be better than that. Um, so, anyways, uh, here I, they're not. This isn't a, a a verse so much pertaining to the gods. Again, it's just a praise of of vigilance. Again. It's saying that even the greatest of all gods got there with this idea of vigilance. So praise and praise of vigilance. Nigel, you want to read the next one, which is 31? Okay. The monastic who delights in vigilance and fears negligence advances like a fire, burning fetters subtle and gross. Thank you. And I got my screen stuck. Ah, there it is. Okay. And again, I don't think we have much to say on this. This is another praise of vigilance. Oh, let's talk about the fetters. Okay. So the fetters, uh, they're, uh, they're very subtle afflictions and limitations that all beings have. And I think I actually have... I think I have them here somewhere. So uh, traditionally, they talk about the 10 fetters, and they're the initial subtle existential qualities that actually create some sorrow for all of us. And the 10 are sensual lust, anger, conceit, views. This is attachment to views, doubt, uh, attachment to rites and rituals, lust for existence, and jealousy. So they talk about, uh, they talk about the fetters are actually, in, in many cases, they talk about the fetters are, um, are the origins of ignorance itself. Where Tibetan Buddhism, they'll talk about uh, uh, the, the main afflictions that we deal with. Uh, it always begins with ignorance. In the Theravada, they take a step further back and they talk about the 10 fetters are the causes of ignorance. So uh, I never learned the fetters when I was in Tibetan Buddhism. Let's see what our good friend Gaden Chippel says. Did anybody, has anybody read about uh, Gaden Chippel? Did you get online and read what a, what a weird guy he was, what an interesting guy he was? It's quite a read. Go, go to Wikipedia and read about him. It's great. He says the monk. Uh, uh, he says the monk delights in vigilance, in vigilant views, heedlessness with horror. I'm sorry, I'm reading that poorly. The monk delighting in vigilance views heedlessness with horror. The monk's awareness is like a fire burning all attachments, both great and small. And it doesn't have to be the monk. We could just say the great practitioner, like all of you, 
um, that that diligence is really what is is really the the antidote to all our attachments. Okay, that's lovely. And how about if I read the last one? I don't want to make our friends work too hard here. The monk. Oh, let's read the. Gilfransdale's version. The monastic who delights in diligence and fears negligence is incapable of backsliding and is quite close to nirvana. Our friend Gaden Chippel, the monk delighting in vigilance, views heedlessness with horror. It is not possible for him to fail, and he is close to nirvana. And our friend Buddha Rakita, the foolish and ignorance indulge in heedlessness. I'm sorry, I have the wrong. The monk who delights in heedfulness and looks with fear at heedlessness will not fail. He is close to Nibbana. Do you notice the dispelling difference between Pali and Sutra the, uh, and Sanskrit? The... Um, Nibbana in Pali and Nirvana in Sanskrit. So here, uh, this idea of backsliding. So in my tradition, in Tibetan Buddhism, we have this thing called grounds and paths, and there it's it's a uh, it's a detailed map showing the actual way all the way to Buddhahood. Uh, all the way up and through. And they talk about it, a certain level of practice. <clears throat> and uh, uh, in the Tibetan, they call it Dachamba. Oh, they call it fear destroyer, is, it, is the English translation of the Tibetan. And it's, uh, it's a bodhisattva uh, at just about the level of a Buddha. But they talk about it, a certain level of awakening. Uh, it's no longer possible for you to slip back into that ignorance, that, that unknowing, that confusion of samsara. So for most of us, you know, uh, our improvement is uh, two steps forward, one step back. We all know this, right? We have a pretty good practice. We have, we have uh, experiences of of, of more insightful and wise states of mind, but then we kind of slip back into older habits again. We become more aware, we slip back to less, less aware states of mind. It kind of goes back and forth. But Buddhism claims at a certain point, you no longer run the risk or danger of going back in. And it, and it makes sense because as you could imagine, when we think about many things, it's like once you gain a certain knowledge level of something, you can no longer look at it the same again. What, what's an example? How about we, we how about we have uh, we have uh, Santa Claus? You know, little kids they believe in Santa Claus, but once somebody tells them that Santa Claus isn't real, whether the child truly believes it or not, they're just not able to go back and really believe in Santa Claus again, right? It's just, this works with so many different things. I can't think of a good example off the top of my head, but so many times, you know, we, we, have, our, we have our eyes open to something new 
And we just can't go back to that simpler way we used to look at that thing. So I think that this, I believe in this. I think it makes sense. But you notice it says quite close to nirvana. So it's saying that, you know, you can reach this level even before full awakening. So uh, that's optimistic for me. Any thoughts? And let's see, I got a couple notes here. Um, Donna says, don't be reborn on earth or anywhere at all into a physical body of the same kind. That's the idea. And this is a complicated question, Donna, when they talk about, when they ask the Buddha what happens at, at the at, uh, final nirvana, the Buddha, in, in a sense, wouldn't answer. So the, we have this thing, the... Uh, Oh, the 12, un, 14 unanswered questions by the Buddha, questions that the Buddha would just not answer. And the, the monks asked him, Do you, does the Buddha exist after Paranirvana, after final enlightenment? Uh, does a Buddha not exist after full enlightenment? Does a Buddha not exi exist or not exist? You know, something in between during the final nirvana and the buddha would simply not answer yeah the buddha said this about a, cu a couple things like karma is one of them the buddha believed that the finite answers about karma are just not there and the idea was the buddha didn't answer them because he thought that whatever he said would lead people into wrong views it would lead people into extreme views so what happens at paranirvana there's a bit of a mystery. Now, later traditions kind of filled in that mystery. Tibetans filled it, and they have a whole a whole game plan of exactly what happens after Paranirvana. They have the whole thing mapped out, and it's all ready for you. And so uh, uh, it's up to us to, to figure out what we believe in that. But yes, it means not having a, a mind or body. And as you can imagine, when they talk about full nirvana being the complete absence of suffering, well, the reason they can claim that is because you no longer have a mind or body. So you can imagine you're not suffering. Um, Carlos says, I looked, uh, the, I looked up the word in Pali that they translate as full, and it is bail, bail, which according to my dictionary means ignorant often with referred to ignorance of yeah i would agree with that too it means ignorance um uh, uh darcy says i need to to go help my sister wake okay bye darcy <laughs> and kawani says i'm gonna make a cup of coffee and put extra sugar in it because i've been a good practitioner all day and robin says i'm gonna go make a sandwich and <laughs> oh, I'm being silly. Does anybody have any comments about or questions about what we've uh, talked about? It's a lovely chapter, isn't it? And I just thought it was so wonderful that it dovetailed in beautifully with our 10-week uh, meditation program on mindfulness. Yeah. Okay, we're running up on an hour. We're still trying to figure out how this program works. So I think we're, we're getting the hang of it. But I would like to say, in closing, 
and I wanted to say this last week, but I uh, didn't. Remember that the sutra teachings are meant as practice instructions. So in order to get the greatest benefit, we need to engage fully with them, utilizing the three great objectives of study, contemplation, and practice. Your work this week is to discover how these teachings and how this chapter applies to your daily life, transforming them from words on a page into a living dharma. Okay, is that clear to everybody? So we, we just read through this and you could say, oh yeah, that was nice. Next chapter, right? That's not the way this is meant to be. You're supposed to contemplate these. You're supposed to understand the importance of mindfulness, of, of vigilance, and apply it to your life and to be vigilant this week, right? So through this program, if you keep that in mind, you're going to get great benefits from it. <clears throat> Next week, we'll be moving on to chapter three of the Dharmapada, which is the mind and another exciting chapter. What do you guys think? The program's going pretty good so far. Do you like the format? Is it too slow? Is it too fast? I'm still trying to figure out how much commentary, how much reading. Some of them are, this was a bit shorter. Some of them don't need much reading. Some of them do. I'm enjoying it very much. Yeah, I'm getting a lot out of it. And then remember when you're reading them at home, and you can write down questions. And also, more importantly, after the class today, go to our WhatsApp Dharma group and post your questions and your thoughts. A lot of really fascinating stuff to, to think about that we went over today, right? Okay, and uh, for tomorrow, uh, tomorrow is our day of observance and retreat. So the day of observance is a day we set aside. We do the last Sunday of every month. We take one day, set it aside for practice. Most of us are so busy, we rarely have a lot of time for some deep practice. Well, we we're, we're decided to give up one day out of the month that we really do a deep dive into our practice, and we do it together and spend time with Sangha. So we've created an online retreat to facilitate that. Everybody is welcome. It's an open retreat, which means you can come to as much or a little as you, as you want. If you're busy, no problem. You can come to some of it. Our regular classes go on just like they always did. We'll have daily meditation tomorrow at the regular time. We'll have our 10-week meditation class at its regular time. We'll be learning insight meditation. Fascinating. But if you are busy tomorrow and you can't come, I recommend that you at least come for in the morning at sunrise so you can take the day of observance pledges. And uh, there's, there's 10 precepts, eight precepts, and you, um, and you take those throughout the day. So whether you're with us or not, one day, away, one day a week to take these precepts is a wonderful thing. In a sense, for one day of the, of the month, you, you live like a monk for a day. 
That's what the precepts do. So we're hoping you'll all come in and uh, celebrate it with us. We'll be online all week. We'll have a schedule uh, posted tonight so everybody will know how to uh, participate. So hoping you can all join us for that. So that'll begin first thing tomorrow morning. We have a certain time for America. We have a certain time for Europe. But at 6 in the morning or around that, depending on your uh, your time, but it's around sunup. So it's going to be a blast. Please come and join us. With that said, let's end today's class with our altruistic affirmation. May all be healthy. May all be prosperous. May all be well. May all be present, free of past regret and future worry. May all abide in constant appreciation, which is a source of great joy and contentment. May all realize their true nature and the true nature of reality, which is awakening. Thanks for joining me. See you later. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you, see you. Adios. Arrivederci.